Book One, Chapter One of Michael Strogoff, Courier of the Tsar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. Book One, Chapter One A Fate at the New Palace. Sire, a fresh dispatch. Whence? From Tomsk. Is the wire cut beyond that city? Yes, sire, since yesterday. Telegraph hourly to Tomsk, General, and keep me informed of all that occurs. Sire, it shall be done, answered General Kissoff. These words were exchanged about two hours after midnight, at the moment when the fate given at the new palace was at the height of its splendor. During the whole evening the bands of the Preobrajensky and Polovsky regiments had played without cessation polkas, mazurkas, scottishes, and waltzes from among the choicest of their repertories. Innumerable couples of dancers whirled through the magnificent saloons of the palace, which stood at a few paces only from the old house of stones, in former days the scene of so many terrible dramas, the echoes of whose walls were this night awakened by the gay strains of the musicians. The grand chamberlain of the court was, besides, well seconded in his arduous and delicate duties. The grand dukes and their aides-de-camp, the chamberlains-in-waiting and other officers of the palace, presided personally in the arrangement of the dances. The grand duchesses, covered with diamonds, the ladies-in-waiting in their most exquisite costumes, set the example to the wives of the military and civil dignitaries of the ancient city of white stone when therefore the signal for the polonaise resounded through the saloons and the guests of all ranks took part in that measured promenade which on occasions of this kind has all the importance of a national dance the mingled costumes the sweeping robes adorned with lace and uniforms covered with orders presented a scene of dazzling splendor, lighted by hundreds of lustres multiplied tenfold by the numerous mirrors adorning the walls. The grand saloon, the finest of all those contained in the new palace, formed to this procession of exalted personages and splendidly dressed women a frame worthy of the magnificence they displayed. The rich ceiling, with its gilding already softened by the touch of time, appeared as if glittering with stars, the embroidered drapery of the curtains and doors, falling in gorgeous folds, assumed rich and varied hues, broken by the shadows of the heavy masses of damask. Through the panes of the vast semicircular bay windows the light, with which the saloons were filled, shone forth with the brilliancy of a conflagration, vividly illuminating the gloom in which for some hours the palace had been shrouded. The attention of those of the guests not taking part in the dancing was attracted by the contrast. Resting in the recesses of the windows, they could discern, standing out dimly in the darkness, the vague outlines of the countless towers, domes, and spires which adorn the ancient city. Below the sculptured balconies were visible numerous sentries, pacing silently up and down, their rifles carried horizontally on the shoulder and the spikes of their helmets glittering like flames in the glare of light issuing from the palace. The steps also of the patrols could be heard beating time on the stones beneath with even more regularity than the feet of the dancers on the floor of the saloon. 
From time to time the watchword was repeated from post to post, and occasionally the notes of a trumpet, mingling with the strains of the orchestra, penetrated into their midst. Still farther down, in front of the façade, dark masses obscured the rays of light which proceeded from the windows of the new palace. These were boats descending the course of a river, whose waters, faintly illumined by a few lamps, washed the lower portion of the terraces. The principal personage who has been mentioned, the giver of the fate, and to whom General Kissoff had been speaking in that tone of respect with which sovereigns alone are usually addressed, wore the simple uniform of an officer of chasseurs of the guard. This was not affectation on his part, but the custom of a man who cared little for dress, his contrasting strongly with the gorgeous costumes amid which he moved, encircled by his escort of Georgians, Cossacks, and Circassians, a brilliant band, splendidly clad in the glittering uniforms of the Caucasus. This personage, of lofty stature, affable demeanor, and physiognomy calm, though bearing traces of anxiety, moved from group to group, seldom speaking, and appearing to pay but little attention either to the merriment of the younger guests, or the graver remarks of the exalted dignitaries or members of the diplomatic corps who represented at the Russian court the principal governments of Europe. Two or three of these astute politicians, physiognomists by virtue of their profession, failed not to detect on the countenance of their host symptoms of disquietude, the source of which eluded their penetration, but none ventured to interrogate him on the subject. It was evidently the intention of the officer of chasseurs that his own anxieties should in no way cast a shade over the festivities and as he was a personage whom almost the population of a world in itself was wont to obey the gaiety of the ball was not for a moment checked nevertheless general kissoff waited until the officer to whom he had just communicated the dispatch forwarded from tomsk should give him permission to withdraw but the latter still remained silent he had taken the telegram he had read it carefully and his visage became even more clouded than before. Involuntarily he sought the hilt of his sword, and then passed his hand for an instant before his eyes, as though, dazzled by the brilliancy of the light, he wished to shade them, the better to see into the recesses of his own mind. "'We are, then,' he continued, after having drawn General Kissoff aside towards a window, "'since yesterday without intelligence from the Grand Duke.' without any sire and it is to be feared that in a short time dispatches will no longer cross the siberian frontier but have not the troops of the provinces of amur and irkutsk as those also of the transbalkan territory received orders to march immediately upon irkutsk the orders were transmitted by the last telegram we were able to send beyond lake baikal and the governments of yaniseisk omsk Semipolatinsk, and tobolsk are we still in direct communication with them as before the insurrection? Yes, sire, our dispatches have reached them, and we are assured at the present moment that the Tartars have not advanced beyond the Irtish and the Obi. And the traitor, Ivan Ogareff, are there no tidings of him? None, replied General Kissoff. The head of the police cannot state whether or not he has crossed the frontier. Let a description of him be immediately dispatched to Nizhny Novgorod, Perm, Ekaterinburg, Kasernov, Tyumen, Ishim, Omsk, Tomsk, and to all the telegraphic stations with which communication is yet open. 
your majesty's orders shall be instantly carried out you will observe the strictest silence as to this the general having made a sign of respectful assent bowing low mingled with the crowd and finally left the apartments without his departure being remarked the officer remained absorbed in thought for a few moments when recovering himself he went among the various groups in the saloon his countenance reassuming that calm aspect which had for an instant been disturbed nevertheless the important occurrence which had occasioned these rapidly exchanged words was not so unknown as the officer of the chasseurs of the guard and general kissoff had possibly supposed it was not spoken of officially it is true nor even officiously since tongues were not free but a few exalted personages had been informed more or less exactly of the events which had taken place beyond the frontier at any rate that which was only slightly known that which was not matter of conversation even between members of the corps diplomatique two guests distinguished by no uniform no decoration at this reception in the new palace discussed in a low voice and with apparently very correct information by what means by the exercise of what acuteness had these two ordinary mortals ascertained that which so many persons of the highest rank and importance scarcely even suspected it is impossible to say had they the gifts of foreknowledge and foresight did they possess a supplementary sense which enabled them to see beyond that limited horizon which bounds all human gaze had they obtained a peculiar power of divining the most secret events was it owing to the habit now become a second nature of living on information that their mental constitution had thus become really transformed it was difficult to escape from this conclusion of these two men the one was english the other french both were tall and thin but the latter was sallow as are the southern provencals while the former was ruddy like a lancashire gentleman the anglo-norman formal cold grave parsimonious of gestures and words appeared only to speak or gesticulate under the influence of a spring operating at regular intervals the gaul on the contrary lively and petulant expressed himself with lips eyes hands all at once having twenty different ways of explaining his thoughts whereas his interlocutor seemed to have only one immutably stereotyped on his brain the strong contrast they presented would at once have struck the most superficial observer but a physiognomist regarding them closely would have defined their particular characteristics by saying that if the frenchman was all eyes the englishman was all ears in fact the visual apparatus of the one had been singularly perfected by practice the sensibility of its retina must have been as instantaneous as that of those conjurers who recognize a card merely by a rapid movement in cutting the pack or by the arrangement only of marks invisible to others the frenchman indeed possessed in the highest degree what may be called the memory of the eye the englishman on the contrary appeared especially organized to listen and to hear when his oral apparatus had been once struck by the sound of a voice he could not forget it and after ten or even twenty years he would have recognized it among a thousand his ears to be sure had not the power of moving as freely as those of animals who are provided with large auditory flaps but since scientific men know that human ears possess in fact a very limited power of movement 
we should not be far wrong in affirming that those of the said englishmen became erect and turned in all directions while endeavoring to gather in the sounds in a manner apparent only to the naturalist it must be observed that this perfection of sight and hearing was of wonderful assistance to these two men in their vocation for the englishman acted as correspondent of the daily telegraph and the frenchman as correspondent of what newspaper or of what newspapers he did not say and when asked he replied in a jocular manner that he corresponded with his cousin madeleine this frenchman however neath his careless surface was wonderfully shrewd and sagacious even while speaking at random perhaps the better to hide his desire to learn he never forgot himself his loquacity even helped him to conceal his thoughts and he was perhaps even more discreet than his confrere of the daily telegraph both were present at this fate given at the new palace on the night of the fifteenth of july in their character of reporters it is needless to say that these two men were devoted to their mission in the world that they delighted to throw themselves in the track of the most unexpected intelligence that nothing terrified or discouraged them from succeeding that they possessed the imperturbable sang-froid and the genuine intrepidity of men of their calling enthusiastic jockeys in this steeplechase this hunt after information they leaped hedges crossed rivers sprang over fences with the ardor of pure-blooded racers who will run a good first or die their journals did not restrict them with regard to money the surest the most rapid the most perfect element of information known to this day it must also be added to their honor that neither the one nor the other ever looked over or listened at the walls of private life and that they only exercised their vocation when political or social interests were at stake in a word they made what has been for some years called the great political and military reports it will be seen in following them that they had generally an independent mode of viewing events and above all their consequences each having his own way of observing and appreciating the french correspondent was named alcide jolivet harry blount was the name of the englishman they had just met for the first time at this fete in the new palace of which they had been ordered to give an account in their papers the dissimilarity of their characters added to a certain amount of jealousy which generally exists between rivals in the same calling might have rendered them but little sympathetic however they did not avoid each other but endeavored rather to exchange with each other the chat of the day they were sportsmen after all hunting on the same ground that which one missed might be advantageously secured by the other and it was to their interest to meet and converse this evening they were both on the lookout they felt in fact that there was something in the air even should it be only a wild goose chase said alcide jolivet to himself it may be worth powder and shot the two correspondents therefore began by cautiously sounding each other really my dear sir this little fate is charming said alcide jolivet pleasantly thinking himself obliged to begin the conversation with this eminently french phrase i have telegraphed already splendid replied harry blount calmly employing the word specially devoted to expressing admiration by all subjects of the united kingdom nevertheless added alcide jolivet i felt compelled to remark to my cousin your cousin 
repeated Harry Blount in a tone of surprise, interrupting his brother of the pen. Yes, returned Alcide Jolivet, my cousin Madeleine. It is with her that I correspond, and she likes to be quickly and well informed, does my cousin. I therefore remarked to her that, during this fate, a sort of cloud had appeared to overshadow the sovereign's brow. To me it seemed radiant, replied Harry Blount, who perhaps wished to conceal his real opinion on this topic. And naturally you made it radiant in the columns of the Daily Telegraph. Exactly. Do you remember, Monsieur Blount, what occurred at Sacré in 1812? I remember it as well as if I had been there, sir replied the english correspondent then continued Alcide jolivet you know that in the middle of a fete given in his honour it was announced to the emperor alexander that napoleon had just crossed the niemen with the vanguard of the french army nevertheless the emperor did not leave the fete and notwithstanding the extreme gravity of intelligence which might have cost him his empire he did not allow himself to show more uneasiness than our host exhibited when general kissoff informed him that the telegraphic wires had just been cut between the frontier and the government of ikutsk ah you are aware of that i am as regards myself it would be difficult to avoid knowing it since my last telegram reached udinsk observed alcide jolivet with some satisfaction and mine only as far as krasnoyarsk answered harry blount in a no less satisfied tone then you know also that orders have been sent to the troops of nikolaevsk i do sir and at the same time a telegram was sent to the cossacks of the government of tobolsk to concentrate their forces nothing can be more true monsieur blount i was equally well acquainted with these measures and you may be sure that my dear cousin shall know of them to-morrow exactly as the readers of the daily telegraph shall know it also monsieur jolivet well when one sees all that is going on and when one hears all that is said an interesting campaign to follow mr blanc i shall follow it monsieur jolivet then it is possible we shall find ourselves on ground less safe perhaps than the floor of this ballroom less safe certainly but but much less slippery added alcide jolivet holding up his companion just as the latter drawing back was about to lose his equilibrium thereupon the two correspondents separated pleased that the one had not stolen a march on the other at that moment the doors of the rooms adjoining the great reception saloon were thrown open disclosing to view several immense tables beautifully laid out and groaning under a profusion of valuable china and gold plate on the central table reserved for the princes princesses and members of the corps diplomatique glittered an epern of inestimable price brought from london and around this chef d'oeuvre of chased gold reflected under the light of the lustres a thousand pieces of most beautiful service from the manufactories of sevres the guests of the new palace immediately began to stream towards the supper-rooms at that moment general kissoff who had just re-entered quickly approached the officer of chasseurs well asked the latter abruptly as he had done the former time telegrams past tomsk no longer sire a courier this moment the officer left the hall and entered a large antechamber adjoining it was a cabinet with plain oak furniture situated in an angle of the new palace several pictures amongst others some by horace vernet hung on the wall the officer hastily opened a window as if he felt the want of air 
and stepped out on a balcony to breathe the pure atmosphere of a lovely july night beneath his eyes bathed in moonlight lay a fortified enclosure from which rose two cathedrals three palaces and an arsenal around this enclosure could be seen three distinct towns kitai gorod beloy gorod zimlianai gorod european tartar and chinese quarters of great extent commanded by towers belfries minarets and the cupolas of three hundred churches with green domes surmounted by the silver cross a little winding river here and there reflected the rays of the moon this river was the moskva the town moscow the fortified enclosure the kremlin and the officer of chasseurs of the guard who with folded arms and thoughtful brow was listening dreamily to the sounds floating from the new palace over the old muscovite city was the czar end of book one chapter one